0: Hey, Visionaries, Chris Wright here with World Realty Group, brokered by eXp Realty. Buying and selling a home could be a stressful process, but we are here to help you throughout the way. Feel free to reach out to us on all social media platforms at World Realty Group TX. Now enjoy the show with Cuff and Mo. All right, so let's get this settled, okay? We have this conversation. First of all, I wanna give a mad, mad shout out to our audiovisual guy, Adam, who we share in common. Yes. Right, um, And it was at his wedding where we finally had the opportunity to meet. And you and I had some, uh, a pretty good debate slash conversation that night. Mm-hmm. And uh, so why don't you lay it on me? And Mo, you, obviously you're there, but you're on the other side of the table. Cool. So We were going in on Kobe and Jordan. Yes, so,
1: and then LeBron came in a little bit later. But but I think we should go around and say, like, who do you think is the best player and why? Yeah, uh,
0: ladies first.
1: Okay, so obviously Kobe is the best player. I don't think that's debatable. Um, Now, I will give you that Jordan was great. Don't get me wrong. And I love Jordan. But, I mean, Kobe is a way more skilled, more athletic player than Jordan was. Okay,
0: so that changes the dynamic a little bit. Because when we were talking, it was more... At the beginning, right? It was, you know, who's the greatest basketball player? Right? You said Kobe, I said Jordan, right? If you
2: throw the word athlete... That changes everything, and I think you'll come in with Braun. No. I mean, we're talking about just skill set. Like, we're talking about a dude on the court who literally does everything at a maximum level. So that's Braun. Talking, like, defense, yeah, like offense. I'm not, about, I'm, just, I'm, about, I'm not talking about athletic gifts. I'm talking about from a skill set standpoint. Okay. Like, at any given point on the court, at any, at any given time on the court, he's the best
1: passer. You're he's, talking about LeBron?
2: Yeah. yeah. He's going to ride LeBron. you got to gotta think. He, even, like,
1: defense, you would still pick LeBron.
2: If you locked those three in a gym and said one of y'all got to walk out of here, I put it like this. Kobe's the first one out the room. Oh, my like you're talking, have you ever a long seen? Day. Do you agree with that? Have you ever seen LeBron James in person? It'll be a long day.
1: I, I mean, that. I haven't, like, hung huh, out with like, him, but I've seen no, him on the you, court. Like you ever, like,
2: literally – like, I used to work at ESPN Radio, so I used to get all those sideline okay. passes and stuff like uh-huh. – if you physically see him in person, you will understand why people are like this dude's an alien he's a beast he's yeah. a like they don't make those like he yeah. is a genetic marvel.
1: I agree with you he's so, a beast
2: like he's got two two inches and like 40 fifty pounds on Kobe but all of Kobe's athleticism it's it, it's not a it's not even a fair fight.
1: It's semi not a fair fight because he is a beast and for his size he is still so athletic. but I mean from a, a total package player offense and defense, and I just – I don't – he doesn't even play defense. What are you talking about? He doesn't play defense like Kobe does. You're talking does. about
2: a guy who could guard any position on the court one in his prime. Five. yeah. Kobe, Kobe can guard ones, twos, three. That's about it.
0: No, no, he, he can go down the post. It,
2: it, yeah. Put it but, like this. But, LeBron but, James is going to be the all-time leading scorer at the end of this year or by the beginning of next year, and that's not even his best trait. That's so, how good But when
0: he you is. start talking about greatest player, I think it has to be Jordan. He set the bar. And everyone has to go meet that bar. Kobe's tried it, hadn't made it. Um, Braun will, will book, never the, come close. The book is not right? done being written yet. It will never come That's close true. because of the losses on the championships. Period. In the story.
2: In the story. You can't he's, That can't be the sole argument, it, bro. It's not it's the what soul, it it's the
0: defining we, part of we, the we
2: get to this point we have sacred cows in sports, right? Like it's the whole thing now with, you know. Micah Parsons and people want to compare to Lawrence Taylor. Right? Just listen, just hear me out. Just hear me out. We are all kids of the 80s. And so we love Nintendo. But if you'd have told us when we're all nine, 10 years old, hey, in 15, 20 years it's gonna be this thing called PlayStation that's gonna blow Nintendo out the water, we'd have clutched our pearls and been like, yeah, right. No, we don't believe you. So if you'd have said in nineteen ninety-one, when Jordan won his first championship, hey, check this out. In like 12 years, there's gonna be a dude who shows up who's bigger than Mike who passes the ball like Magic Johnson but can go get 50 when need to. They'd be like, that dude don't exist. He, here's He's what, the evolution he, of all this stuff. In he, 15, 20 he, years from now, a, yeah, for sure. there's going to be another person that shows up It's going to be like, oh, this dude is more gifted than LeBron. But it's here's, the where, here's where I'm going to yeah.
0: say the line of demarcation is, and I know you love that, right? So Jordan revolutionized the game, both internally, inside the game, inside the NBA, and externally. In what fashion? In, in the terms of fashion, like what, uh, in okay. terms of shoe, his brand with Nike, mm-hmm. and how it completely has changed everything. And, and you got to understand that Jordan hit it at the right time by no – it wasn't, hit, you know, by stroke of luck or, or genius or anything. If he just was the right person at the right time when they started really, you know, putting a, a figure, a sports figure around the shoe. Now, obviously you had the bird and yeah. the magic situation or whatever, Kareem. You had, uh, you know, guys like that. But until Nike really made him the spokesperson, and then the emergence of hip-hop coming out, Mm -hmm. like, completely revolutionized everything. So, for that reason, in terms of being an actual brand, you got to go hands down Jordan.
2: He is the roadmap, but... LeBron and his crew have taken I was just it to about another to say, level, right? Like, like next level. Jordan wasn't a billionaire till he got done playing. LeBron is no actively playing and a walking billionaire now. No question.
0: Yeah. And, the, and the dynamics from finance change right over time. Right? There's more money in the economy now than there was 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Right? Yeah. Can't necessarily hold that in LeBron's court as, as you know, favor to LeBron. But for where where we were and where the game of basketball went. And who it went through, twenty
2: three. He 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 is the fire hydrant of the neighborhood. You can't have you can't have the neighborhood without him. But that doesn't mean there's not like a better house down on the corner. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like he is the evolution of it all. Like people just need to just get over it. Like I think that Jordan is awesome too. But that if if you ever seen him in person, like during his prime, you're like like this dude's an alien. <laughs>
0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Vision Lab Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Cuffey, alongside my co-host, Mr. Ryan Mosley. Folks, it's time to clutch your pearls, if I can steal that from you, Pete. Amen. Man, well, I'm super excited about today. Um, this has been, obviously, an amazing, amazing opportunity to get the one and only, and I'll let you do the introduction, but Visionaries, for, for all you guys that are tuning in, make sure you like, you subscribe, and you share, because this episode is going to be absolutely impact impactful. Mo, who do we have on the show on
2: today? Cuff, today's guest is a native of Louisville, Texas. She is the owner of uh, the Mortgage Nerd Group. Um, please welcome Denise, the Mortgage Nerd Donahue, to the Vision Lab Podcast.
0: Hey! Woo! What
2: up, what up, what up, and good morning. How are we doing?
1: I am good. Happy to be here, finally. We've been talking about this. Yeah, power about
0: manifestation about for a while. Yeah, real.
2: I'm just glad the Cuff did double book us today. Uh.
1: <laughs> hey, all good.
0: Listen, we're going to do that with the checkers on the on the board. We're gonna move him around like that. I apologize, okay. I couldn't help it. Couldn't okay, help. no, but listen, Denise, I'm so happy to have you in the lab. Um, I think it's actually pretty apropos. Uh, you know, at the time of this recording, the Fed met yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna get into that, what that means. I think today's episode is really gonna be educational, so you guys are definitely gonna want to tune in. Um, we're gonna get into mortgages, right? It's the largest asset. Largest purchase of most Americans, right? Most yep. consumers that they will ever do. So it's time to take it serious. But before we get into all that, um, let's give a little bit of history: who you are, how you really got involved with uh, with mortgages.
1: Yeah, well, it's crazy. I don't know if anybody ever like wakes up and says, "Okay, I want to become a mortgage officer." But I was raised by a single dad, and I just remember coming home in high school, and we had just we were in like the elite four of the championship. My twin sister and I, so when I say we, because I have a twin, we came home on the bus and all of our stuff was on the outside of our house, all of our yard. And my dad had lived in that house for 26 years. So if you think about it, 30 year mortgage, it should have been almost paid off by then, but he didn't have people in his circle and in his life to coach him or teach him really how to manage money well. And so what I had learned later in life is that he had done some cash out refinances. and But I just remember being a 17-year-old in high school, embarrassed as shit with all of our stuff out on the yard. And at that point, I was like, I never want to feel that kind of mm. shame or anxiety or stress. or. And then I looked at my dad, and I was angry at my dad yeah. at the time. But now I'm like, damn, I bet he felt horrible as the leader of our family and you know having to see his kids see this and so I we my sister and I we re- researched like cheapest apartments in Louisville Texas and we moved to the cheapest uh, place in Louisville Texas and just learned how to grind and learn how to really you could either follow in that same path and be horrible at money and have horrible credit which is what both my parents had or you could be like this pain is so horrible, that I never want to experience it again. And fortunately, I went down that path. And so I just became fascinated with money and how to make money and how to multiply my money and how to really work smarter instead of harder. And so long story short, went to college, I started an eBay business paid for my college, and I was selling Jason Kidd jerseys, Mm. um, Dallas Stars jerseys, Mavericks jerseys, because before then, the internet wasn't what it is now, right. and so I could go. I didn't have to have inventory. I could just go to the local mall and be like, "Okay, someone wants a you know medium Jason Kidd jersey, and ship it out to someone in California." You were doing retail arbitrage before. It was yeah. A, a yeah, yeah, it was. I was hustling Shout it. Shout out to Gary Vee. Yeah, way. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that literally paid my way through school, and I graduated college. It was around 2006, and I couldn't get a job. The market was starting to shift at that point. The housing crash was right around the corner. So the only job I could get, even though I just paid a ton of money for this piece of paper to graduate from this school, <laughs> was a one-call close, you know, sales environment, and it was brutal. I mean, I got hung up on constantly. You had to do like all this personal development, listening to Tony Robbins. Like they made the company made you because it, you got such rejection all throughout the day, but you could make really good money. Company went under. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go learn how to be a financial advisor, get my finance license, because I was always fascinated with money. Uh, I had a negative relationship with money, though. I felt like people who made a lot of money must have been like drug dealers or they were bad people. So it was like I wanted to learn how to make money, but I still at that age had a negative association with people who made a lot of money. Um, But got my financial advising license, learned how to like stocks and bonds and all that stuff but i realized as a financial advisor you only see so much of someone's net worth because they're skeptical of financial advisors right mm. like it's like is this financial advisor are they char- how do they make money i don't really understand what they do and i'm going to give them this much to invest but i'm not going to give it all because i don't trust you yet i want to see how you do mm-hmm. like that's still very real today yeah, but i learned as a mortgage officer you see people completely naked you see their credit, you see Thanks. their debts, you see their bank accounts. I see that you're Doordashing every day, but you don't have money for a down payment. Mm-hmm. Like, let's be real. So I just felt like I could make a bigger impact as a mortgage advisor if I treated it like a financial advising practice, where it's not just getting a mortgage. It's that's just the vehicle for me to have a conversation with you. But when you work with me, it's beyond the mortgage, and it's a truly a financial strategy that says. You want to put 20% down, but you've got $12,000 in credit card debt. Although you asked for that, I'm going to show you with numbers how I can save you $600 a month in cash flow because we're going to actually put 7% down, pay off this credit card debt, and we're going to free up that money, and we're going to do something smarter with it. Oof.
0: Come on, now. Fire. <laughs> Folks, it's going to be off the chain today. So... Um, you had the experience with the dad and, and, mm-hmm. and with your dad in the home. And, and obviously, you know, a, a lot of times that's the catalyst, right? Like, that, yeah. that's the spark that, that the ignites the flame. It's an inflection point. It's the inflection point, you know. And so when did the mortgage thing start to become real for you?
1: Um, I So I was at J.P. Morgan Chase and I was a financial advisor. I was like 25, blonde. I don't know about you guys, but there's not a lot of people that have money that want to invest their money with a 25-year-old blonde. Um, and so I I was struggling a little bit with it. Then I was studying to get my mortgage license and I left the bank in 2012. And as a mortgage advisor, when you work for a bank, you have an endless amount of clients. Like there's a ton of, you know, mortgage clients. You could just, anybody that has a checking account, you could call. And at the time rates were relatively low in 2012. So if you were comfortable picking up the phone and calling somebody, which I was, because that's where I came from you could make decent money. But I knew if I wanted this to be a career, I was going to have to leave the the big bank and develop my own clients and work with real estate agents in a purchase market um, just because re, the refinance market comes and yeah. goes. So as we all know today, there's not a whole lot of people refinancing uh, yeah, right we're now. We're getting into that here. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, but as a mortgage advisor, if you want a longstanding career, you need a healthy amount of purchase business, which usually comes from real estate agents Um, builders. And so I just said in 2012, I'm going to leave the bank. I'm going to go out on my own. I'd never done a purchase loan in my life. I'd only done refis. I did one purchase loan in 2012 and really screwed it up. Didn't know how to set up an escrow account. And, but it was interesting because every time I met with a realtor, I would ask them like, what do I need to do to earn your business? And they just, every single one of them kept saying the same thing. My lender doesn't communicate. I send them a client. I have no idea what goes on. And I was like, damn, all I have to do is get really good at communicating and I could maybe make a career out of this. Mm -hmm. So that's just what I did. And I was consistent and then I've developed systems and such, but, um, yeah, it just kind of took off from there.
0: And definitely want to get into all that. Um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm obviously in the lending business Mm -hmm. as well. Right. So circa 2012, you've left the bank, talk to our viewers, talk to your audience as well. Right. Like What does that look like in terms of, did you join a shop? Did you just say, hey, I'm I'm Denise, I'm going to go and, you you know, like, how does that work for for the everyday person that doesn't understand what that means? Did you work for somebody? Did you open up your own brokerage?
1: Yeah. No, I left and I worked for a company. It's called a correspondent lender. The easiest way to describe it is people would categorize it as a broker. So I wasn't the CEO. I wasn't in charge of hiring people for payroll and things like that, I hung my license there, but it was straight commissioned. So you eat what you kill, which I didn't have a problem with because I'd pretty much been straight commissioned my whole life. Um, But if you didn't close a loan, you didn't make a paycheck. And so whereas at Chase, you still made a small salary. And again, you, you could run through a database of Chase and sort through, okay, this person has... 25 grand in the bank and has a mortgage rate of over 5.25. Let me download a list. And you would have hundreds of clients. But when you leave the bank, you have no clients.
2: Yeah, Uh, Pipeline gone.
1: Yeah, pipeline gone. So you got to hustle. And so uh, I left. I hung my license at a local company. And at that point, I just said, I think I was like 26 at the time. And I was like, let's go. Let's hustle. I don't have a problem hustling. I don't want easy. I just want possible. Yeah, I love it.
2: Love that. I'm going to write
1: that down. I don't want easy. I just want
0: possible. So let's break this down because Fed met yesterday, but I wanted to talk about um, what a mortgage is, why this is so important. How can we educate our our visionaries that are out there, the nerds that are watching? um, What do they need to know about a mortgage?
1: So the thing about mortgages and real estate is I truly believe that if you want to build wealth for yourself, one of the easiest paths to do that is through home ownership. I tell people I'm not just a mortgage officer. I help people build wealth through home ownership. But the sooner you can start that and the more strategic you can start it, um, the more wealth you'll have later on in life. So a mortgage is essentially when you go and you buy a house, it's the loan that you have to repay on the asset that you own, which is the home. And your home versus, let's just say, renting. Because for the renters who are listening right now, they're just as frustrated. The rent's been going up like crazy. Like my mother-in-law's rent just went up three hundred and fifty bucks, one renewal. I'm like, like you're on fixed income. That's it that, makes a difference. It makes a difference, right? And so they're just as frustrated. And so the thing is, is when you buy a home, there's many ways that you make money on that. The house appreciates in value, which means if you buy a house for three hundred thousand. If there's a five percent appreciation, the house is worth a little bit more the next year, and the next year, and the next year. So your asset is making money just through appreciation growth. Shout out to DFW. Every six and a half minutes, you got a family moving here. So our demand here in DFW is like through the roof. Shout We're out lucky. To the state
2: of Texas, I've yeah. had a lot of conversations about all this stuff today. No. Yeah, y'all go yeah. back home. <laughs> y'all
1: go back to the, back the, state to the other Texas states. <laughs> Hey, it's nice. The demand here is still fantastic. So your your asset that you bought is appreciating in value. Every single month when you make a mortgage payment, there's a portion of your payment called the principal amount. And that is kind of like putting money back in your pocket because you're, uh, you're paying down your loan balance so that when you go sell your house, you have more equity when you sell versus when you make a $1,800 a month rent payment.
0: Nothing to show for it.
1: Nothing to show for it. Nothing's going anywhere. So you've got... You've got the home appreciating in value. You've got the amount that you're paying down towards principal. And my favorite one is this asset can be turned into passive income if you can turn it into a rental or if you can get some roommates and help you cover that mortgage. And so right now, these millennials, what's so fascinating about them is some of their parents went through that housing crash. Mm -hmm. So kind of like me... They don't have the traditional values anymore that our parents had, like you have to get married before you have kids. And there's some traditions that they're breaking that they don't want to follow through on. and some of that is also in real estate. They're like, I want to buy this house, but I want to buy it with my two friends. and we're gonna all pay for that mortgage and because they're getting the fact that they don't necessarily want to stay in that home for 30 years, but they see the value of what real estate can do. Mm-hmm. And so that's the you know if you can if you're a first time home buyer, buy a house. I recommend putting very little down. That's another topic. Put a little money down, stay in it for a year or so, however long you want. I don't care if it's six months. Then go buy another one and turn that one into a rental. you got a primary interest rate on it. You could put little money down, stay in it for a year. Your next house is a primary, so you get a good rate. You can put little down. You get a lease agreement to offset the payment on your current home. Mm -hmm. Now you're building and establishing a rental portfolio with very little money down. And if you can learn that, in your 20s, when you buy your first house, it doesn't matter if that's your dream home. You're not going to stay in that house for a long time. That money's going to be cash cow. I promise you. First house I ever bought was single, scared to death, $149,000 in Frisco, Texas. I still have that house. That house is worth way more. Appreciation gain. That yeah. house
2: is probably worth about 500000 or $600,000 yeah. now on the low end, I would imagine. And
1: I put like nine grand down, which thanks to Obama. I got an Obama <laughs> grant, so I got my down payment covered. And... I bought, and I still have that house and a, t- a tenant has been paying the entire payment for the last, I don't know, 10 so years. And that house just continues to go up. And it so,
2: will stay there too, given with, given the economy.
1: Yep. Yep. <laughs> Cash cow. So it's like. Well, even if they don't,
0: it might be, you know, and don't want them
1: to leave. But if they don't, you get to replace it with higher rent. I know. Yeah. And I've been, it, so a lot of people fear renting a house out because of course, just like the news. People love to hear about the doomsday and all the problems that happen when you have tenants. But at this stage, I own quite a few rental properties and I don't have a lot of problems on them. But I try to go after those first time homebuyer homes so that the tenant might be a single mom with a kid or, you know, some dad that is living in the Dallas area that doesn't want, you know, wants a smaller house, not this massive house. If you do it right, and you have somebody helping you with these strategies, which is what I wish somebody would do with my dad, but you only know what you know based on the people you grew up around, or what your family knows about finance. And I always thought you had to make a lot of money to talk to any like financial advisor. Like I was ashamed. What financial advisors want to talk to me? I make thirty-two thousand dollars a year. Like that's what I was thinking when I was twenty-five. But that's just stinking thinking. You can go meet with a financial advisor and they'll give you some pointers or a mortgage advisor that cares and they could set you up, you know, for life. It's you just got to be disciplined
0: person. and you've got to yep. follow the strategy. Yep. So um, we're talking a little bit about what mortgages are, right? Um, the Fed met, as I mentioned, uh, at the time of this recording was yesterday. Um, what does that mean for consumers?
1: Oh, man, it's such a, so many people get confused when the feds meet and they increase the federal funds rate. So I'm going to sum this up in a two minute nerdy lecture. But the federal funds rate actually has nothing to do directly with mortgage rates. The federal funds rate impacts things like credit card rates, um, car loans, business loans. And it's something that the government has always done because guess what, this isn't the first time we've been in a high inflation or recession period. But it's a tactic that the feds have always done to essentially make it so expensive for consumers to borrow money that it slows spending down. And so what they're trying to do is decrease spending, which has been tough coming after COVID because...
2: Everyone was pimped up on the sidelines. Everybody
1: was pimped up on the sidelines and we pumped out a lot of money for PPE loans and forbearances. Like people's biggest expense is their housing expense. And we allowed forbearances for like over 12 months. So they couldn't travel. They were pimped up. And then they've got all this money. And so people are getting frustrated with where we are because the, the tactics that we're using, of course, hasn't worked fast enough for the Americans. It's never fast enough for us. But mark my words, November 10th, which is right around the corner, the new inflation numbers are coming out. It's called the CPI numbers. And the 30-year fixed rates are directly related with our inflation numbers. And if you look at the year-over-year of those inflation numbers, the 30-year rates always follow it, except for when Trump was in president and then even when Biden took over. So they both – I don't care what political party (laughs) you're part of. They both did it, but they froze the 30-year rates in like 2021, and they didn't unfreeze it until January of this year. So both – People are responsible. That was because are responsible. Everybody that got was because their of, in the pot. Yep. That
0: was because of what, though? There was a major world catastrophe that was going on called, a, called COVID, right? Yeah. So yeah. a lot of it had to do with that.
1: Of course. The COVID and then, you know, the war. with Like, these things you can't predict, but they froze it because they thought that that's what the best thing to do is. And you could Monday night quarterback any, you know, thank God I'm not the president because it's so easy to place blame. They should have released it sooner. They didn't. If I was in their shoes, would I, I don't know. No one's ever been through anything like this. But the fact is, is as soon as they released the freeze on these 30-year rates, what did rates do? They jumped and they followed exactly where inflation was, which is why we started seeing an increase in January. All this is to say, I've got a video on this on my website, but November 10th, the most recent CPI or inflation numbers are going to come out. And we will finally see what we've been doing all year long with what the feds have been doing with the federal funds rate start to pay off. And I am predicting on the market, on the record, that by Q by February to March, we will start to see these rates come down because every single month from here on out, now that these really low CPI numbers have been, have been flushed out because it's a 12-month year-over-year, we needed July, August, and September numbers to flush out they will be flushed out starting November 10th because November's reporting October's numbers. So we will start to see the benefit of what everyone's been freaking out about with these rates, but I'm like, listen, if you went to Starbucks this morning and you bought your Starbucks on a credit card you should be more concerned about what rate you're paying on that credit card right. than potentially your mortgage, that's right. because that's what people aren't focusing on. Yeah, yeah.
2: You say it all the time people people get upset about the <laughs> the, the mortgage on their house, but yeah. they'll pay their 13 percent on a credit yeah. card, and not blinking an eye. Well, and that's exactly. the thing I talk
0: to people about because you know I'm on the refi side, yeah. right? And so you know, hey, I've got this, you know, three percent rate. Well, listen, that's fantastic. I totally get it. It's sexy, right? Three percent on six hundred thousand. Who wouldn't want that? Yeah. But you, sir, you also have forty-five, fifty thousand dollars worth of debt, and eighty percent of that is a credit card or yeah. credit cards. You know, over the course of eight or nine different creditors, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have no problem paying eighteen to twenty-five percent on thirty-five thousand dollars, but and because you don't want to get rid of. You know, the three percent on your six hundred. Yeah. Right. But if you start to count the cost, which is something I always talk to people about, well, why don't you count the cost? Because you don't go to Starbucks and pay with your three percent interest rate on your mortgage, right? You don't go to Target and pay with your three percent. You don't go to, you know, Costco or whatever. What are you paying? You're paying with your disposable income. So, sir, ma'am, you're spending what you're actually spending every month, eighteen hundred dollars, twenty five hundred dollars on all these different type of credit cards. Is prohibiting you to actually go out and have more disposable income. But I want to marry to this yeah. 3% over yeah. here. It, it just doesn't make sense.
1: You know, I think part of it is a psychological oh. shift. Yeah, because it's like people have more equity than ever in their home, but they also have more credit card debt than ever. And, you know, Americans, we need a new car like every two, three years. Yeah. So that rate on that car is going up too. And it's like you you have all this equity. What if I showed you that your monthly, your total outgoing monthly expenses could decrease by two, three, four hundred dollars because we tap into this equity and wipe out your credit card debt. But it's like psychologically we have a problem with.
0: We we fall in love with the sexy rate.
1: Yeah. On the mortgage because it's like, no, I can't touch this rate. That's bad. And it's like, but this credit card debt is quicksand. Mm -hmm. It, It will literally bury you if you don't get out from under it. Not
0: to mention. Most of them are, are variable rates. You know, of course, you have your introductory. I'm not yeah. talking about that. Like yeah. I get it. Um, they're variable rates, and it's tied to the prime rate. So if it goes up, guess what? Those credit card payments yeah. are, you know, the payment on that $40,000 of credit card debt is going up on you, sir. That payment on that $5,000 that you have on that Amex card is going up on you, sir. So people, you know, I, I try to coach people and talk to people about that, and I'm so glad that you – You know, you tapped into that. It's let's not fall in love with the right people, but let's fall in love with, you know, having a little bit more disposable income because we're going to need it here. And we want to talk about that here shortly.
1: Yeah. And I think as a society, because, you know, we live in a world with social media and gram life and everyone's posting these, you know, shiny objects and these vacations that they're on. And I think what is sad is that there are a lot of people. And if you're listening and you're one of these people, like, don't be like my dad and be too prideful to ask for help or just see if there's another way when it comes to finance because I think people get shameful about the credit card debt and I feel for them because it keeps them up at night and they don't know a way out and they think that tapping into their mortgage is such a bad thing, but it's like just talk to an advisor and get out from under that because you don't want that snowball to get bigger and bigger. And then God forbid you lose a house because you just didn't know of a way or you didn't ask questions, no. you know, don't be shameful.
2: So we're talking about all this mortgage stuff. I have to ask, why do you have the name, the mortgage nerd? <laughs> Cause that's how I was introduced to you. Like this is the mortgage nerd. So why do you have that name? What's the origins of it? I'll, I'll clearly, you know what you're talking about, but
1: why? Well, I mean, because of my upbringing, I, Did become super fascinated with money, with finance. Um, and so growing up, I was always a nerd. Like when I was in college, my friends were going out to the bars and, and I was working two jobs and trying to figure out a way of how to get out of this rat race. Like I didn't want to be owned by a company. My brother calls it FU money. I don't know if we can say that yeah, on here, you can. but okay. I told you. Come on. All right. All say right. what you want to.
0: What is FU money?
1: So F money means you make enough money that if someone like steps to you or challenges you or your CEO is like, yeah, I need this. You can be like F I don't need your money. Cause I got my own. So. He taught me fu money and mailbox money. And so I've always been a student of learning finance, trying to work smarter, not harder. And, and then when I got into the mortgage space, you know, people couldn't spell my first name. They damn sure couldn't spell my last name. They could hardly spell mortgage. And I'm like, <laughs> look, I don't care what you call me. Just put me in your phone as the nerd because I do incorporate finance into my mortgage strategies and so it just became the nerd. But a funny story is the CEO at the time of the mortgage company I was working at, like super mega rich guy. I was kind of intimidated by him because he was like a world traveler and his parents were loaded. And I'm like, oh, he like drinks out of fancy glasses and stuff. And I'm like, where's the goldfish? Like, you know, <laughs> you know, like, I'm like so white trash. But I'm like tried to make sure I like my shirt was ironed the day he came in and um, but he's he I he was hearing me say, like, I'm just I'm just gonna go by the nerd. It's easy for people to remember, people laugh when they hear it and but I truly am my heart am a nerd and he he sat there across the table from me and i had mad respect for him because he seemed rich and owned the company. And he was like, You don't you shouldn't do that because you are putting yourself here and the client here and you know, in his world, because he's affluent and I mean, he's it's, always up here. It's always an ego contest. Ego. And I was like, damn, but like I in my heart, I'm a nerd. And I feel like getting a mortgage is so vulnerable. You pull your credit. People are scared to death that they're going to get rejected. Their credit isn't good enough. I'm not going to qualify. And I'm like, but I kind of want to be here. Like, I don't want them to be intimidated with a mortgage conversation. So for the first time in my life, I was like, no, like you might be smarter than me and have more money than me and you own this mortgage company, but this, I'm going to roll with the nerd. And to this day, we have a really great relationship. He'll see like some billboard with a chick on there with glasses. And he's like, damn it. You were right. Like, you know, cause like social media wasn't around at really that point. But from that, that point on, I just committed to the mortgage nerd and it's been my brand ever since.
2: So I want to switch gears because this is the vision lab. Uh, but before we do that, allow me to say thank you yes. to the good folks at blowing smoke, of lounge, uh, Edwina, Jacoby, the entire staff there, uh visionaries check out this commercial right quick hey everyone edwina brown here owner operator of
0: blowing smoke cigar lounge we're located at 1604 north interstate 35 e in lancaster texas we would love for you to come see us we stand on the three c's which are cigars our community and our culture cigars we have over 300 skus in our humidor and it's still growing come check it out a massive humidor we also love our culture here which we're about customer service as well as community, which is why we're excited to partner with the Vision Lab podcast. So come check us out.
2: Uh, visionaries, again, you know, we don't have anything on the show that we don't stand behind. If you're anywhere in the southern part of the Metroplex, make sure you get the Blown and Smoke Cigar Lounge there in Lancaster. Thank you, EB, for all your support. We look forward to seeing you at the anniversary party very, very, very soon. What up, E? Uh, so this is the Vision Lab, right? Yep. You made a you made a move, and obviously, you know, you know your twenties whatnot. You had nothing to lose, but you you stepped out there, like you said. You you realized, like, okay, if in order to do what it is I want to do, like, I'm going to have to kind of take control of my own ship. Yeah. When you stepped out there to do your thing by yourself, essentially, what was the vision you had for yourself at that time? And then I also want to backdoor it with what does it look like now that you're in this super cool position that you occupy.
1: Well, when I left the big bank and went to the went out on my own, so to speak, I attended a conference in California. It was my first mortgage conference I'd ever been at. Because, you know, at the bank, you just drink the Kool-Aid. You only go to the trainings that they go to. And there was probably about 2,000 loan officers nationwide, and there were speakers up on the stage. And there were, for the first time, I saw people up on the stage who have similar upbringings of mine, come from nothing, parents not fantastic. But they were having all of this success. And so as I looked at those people and I was like, I mean, if they can do it, why can't I do it? And so I think having, being able to see that and, and hear the, the money that they can make. And I was like, if it just, if it takes hard work, I knew I was never that girl who graduated college that wanted to get married and have kids right away, which in the South, that's kind of what you do is some people call it the MRS degree. And, (laughs) and (laughs) yeah, but I was never, I never like daydreamed about a wedding dress or getting married or I, I always probably because of how I was raised, it was like, I wanted to have the money foundation right before I even thought about bringing a human into this universe. That's just me. So I sacrificed my twenties and I hustled and I would do like open house crashing. That's what I called it. I even bought the domain name. I have no (laughs) idea why. Well, I'm
2: talking about what's an open house crashing. Please explain.
1: Okay. So it's not as cool as wedding crashers, but you would, as a loan officer, like you would do anything to get in front of a real estate agent. Oh, look at you. And so you got, and I was, I didn't have any money, so I didn't want to pay for coffee. Like I don't, you know what I mean? Just to have 15 minutes of your time and maybe we don't like each other. So again, trying to think smarter, Realtors are stuck in a house, on an open house, for like two hours. And if the market's down, they're bored. They got time. They got time. So I was like, well, I knew if I could get in front of them and charm them a little bit and show them that I'm working on a Saturday or Sunday, I'm just in the neighborhood, just want to pop by. I wasn't like, I don't live in the neighborhood, but I I would go to a nicer neighborhood, but my goal was to add five realtors a week to my database, and then I would drip on them, but I didn't do the cold calling or because I felt like I could speed up that courting time if I could just get in front of them, but I didn't want to have five coffees a week. So I would just pick five open houses. I would go every single weekend, build up my realtor roster, drip on them every week, and that's just how I slowly built it. So.
2: Kudos to you. Yeah, I love the ingenuity. (laughs) So, not to hate to sidetrack you, but your your vision, right? So, okay, I want to speed this up. Yeah, obviously, I'm I'm essentially working for myself. Yeah, what was the biggest fear you had as you embarked on that road?
1: Not being enough. In what way? Um, not being smart enough, or not being deserving enough, and then. Once I had reached, you know, it was like in my 20s, all I wanted to do was hit six figures. It was like, I think my dad, the most he ever made was maybe like 65000 Um, My mom's always struggled. And so it was like, man, if I could make six figures, I would make it. And it Rich. was. Yeah. You know, <laughs> gosh. And so it's like, then once you hit that, it was like. It's I, not enough. Yeah, it's not enough. Or I was expecting this feeling of like fulfillment. Mm-hmm. But I am a competitive person like Kobe, the number one basketball player. And, oh <laughs>
2: and the so joy, the joy is in the journey. I know where you're going.
1: Yeah. So it was just like, okay, well, what if I could get to this level and then this level? And then I had an epiphany that was like, it took me a while to learn that why couldn't I earn a certain amount of money? Like, I'm worthy of that. And I don't have to sabotage that or I, because I told you from the beginning, I had. If you made a, like a ton of money, that meant you were a drug dealer or you did something illegal or like I don't
2: something nefarious.
1: Yeah. The people that do things
0: the right way don't make that much money.
1: Yeah. Or if you do make that like you're you're definitely an asshole. You know? And so I was like, I don't want to be an asshole. So it, it was just just weird. I couldn't break through this ceiling for a long time. And then when I finally was like, you know what, I am worthy of it. You can be a good guy and make good money. You can make an impact and build a business and build a team and hire people and give them opportunities. And that today I get more fulfillment on is like watching my team and my people grow and reach their potential when they, they don't see it yet, you know? So,
0: you know, one of the things that I'm I'm hearing from you and you you haven't even said it, but I'm, I'm I'm learning. Right. And then I think this is part of the joy of, of having a podcast is because we're constantly learning. You're all in. On one specific thing. Mm-hmm. How important is it for people to be successful, right? To be all in and not to have, you know, st- st- stranglers out there in, in, in other industries or what have you?
1: I think it's super important. And I think that especially if you're younger in your 20s or heck, even if you're 50 years old, I, I think society sometimes teaches us to not quit at something because quitting's bad. But I think you have to be quick to learn like if you're in this job that you go to from 8 to 5 every single day and you hate it you can't stay there every day and do something that you hate to do and I think there's a fear of quitting that to find your passion it's a slow death mhm yeah it's like every day it's just a slow and then what are you teaching your kids when you do that i just i think society also teaches you that it's you you're like my older sisters a prime example she graduated how I many there are y'all there's a lot of yeah. us no. <laughs> <laughs> twin sister older sister and a half brother it's, it's we have like me and my twin we have the the nerd and the bird podcast and my older brother he's like well i mean can i get on this like nerd bird and turd i'm like there okay you go. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely not bro he's like i want to get in on it um no but it, i think that you have to go all in and i think you can't be afraid to step out of something that you're not into to find what it is that you're passionate about. And once you find it, go all in, like otherwise you're just selling yourself short. You're selling your family short and it's scary. No one's saying it's, it's, it might not be easy, but if it's possible, go all in.
2: Yeah. Toes down. said so all the yeah. time, like put your hands in the dirt, and get to it, man. Yeah. So so I wanna kinda get back to the education,
0: right? Yeah. Of of mortgages and and, and understanding for our, our our audience, for your audience to have a better understanding on how to navigate through these loans. T- let's talk about what's going on right now. Okay. But the interest rates. Interest rates have, have, you know, in my opinion, they've been going up since August of twenty uh twenty twenty one, right? Bigger uh uptick in in February, massive uptick in um, May, I think Mm -hmm. is what it was, and then ridiculous in September to October. But all that being said, for those that don't pay attention, because we had this two-and-a-half-year window, give or take, I always tell my clients, like, hey, the barn doors are open for 24 months. If you didn't get in, kind of your fault, right? But where we are now, and I understand, and every lender says this, I don't have this crystal ball. Right, we get it where we are now, what's going to happen, right? Um, so for those consumers that, you know, haven't been paying attention or just just don't know, yeah. like what should they be expecting with rates and, and how do we navigate these particular channels?
1: In my opinion, rates are artificially high. So I think for a long time, they were artificially low. We were recovering from the housing crisis and then with COVID, we kept them artificially low. But- Inflation rate is through the roof, and so the mortgage rates are artificially high. My concern, so if you own a home right now, and you're happy with the home, but in the last few years, it was like some people would get bored, it was easier to sell a house and buy another because rates were low, you could make good money. But if you're that homeowner right now that's sitting on a house that is good enough, this is probably not the market for you to sell and buy in. Like, unless there's a death in your family, a divorce, or like there's a dire need, you're relocating. Sure, then you have to sell and buy. But if you're just bored, sit on the sidelines and wait it out. Don't just make a move because you're bored. If you're a renter, my fear and concern with people who are renting right now who have the have made the decision that I'm just gonna wait it out is that we just came off of a fast and furious last two years. And so let's compare the markets. The market before the only way for you to get an offer accepted is you had to offer over list price. I'm talking like wads way of cash. Over. Yeah. Way over. Yep. Um, FHA buyers, first time home buyers didn't have a, a good chance. You had to waive your appraisal. You had to waive inspection. It was like giving up your firstborn child. And so a lot of these first time home buyers or renters were sitting on the sidelines cause they couldn't even compete. We're in a market now Let's be real. Rates are higher and home prices are higher. So the affordability isn't what it once was. That doesn't mean that you can't buy a house. It just might mean you can't buy the house with the third car garage and the granite and the hardwood floors. You might have to humble yourself a little bit and get into something that isn't what you thought you were going to be able to buy for your first home. No big deal. As you make money, you can update it. But my concern is, is that when these rates start to fall, and no, we don't have a crystal ball, but mark my words, they will start to fall very very slowly after november 10th um if and when these rates come down all these people who have been sitting on the sideline waiting for this exact moment what's going to happen pimped up yeah demand again our supply is still really low like you talk to any real estate agent out there in dfw the supply is still technically a seller's market so when these rates come down now these buyers especially the first-time home buyers are going to be back to competing with these people who could sell a house and have wads of cash, and they might be pushed out of the market again. So I'm not saying that you should look at buying a house now, but I think you should start the conversation, even if your lease is up in June or whatnot. Because my concern is, is that when these rates start to come down, it's going to get tough again for these first-time homebuyers.
0: So I want to switch gears, staying in the same pocket, because we talk to consumers a lot, right? Yeah. What about the loan officers that are out there? We got shops that are closing up yeah. left and right. I've had a buddy of mine that, I mean, I can't tell you how many people have lost, you know, their the way to make they, the yeah. way that they make their living. Right? Um, I had a guy come into the office the other day that I I personally know that his entire shop got shut down. So, yeah. um, in this market, what are you telling them?
1: It's real. I mean, there's a lot. There's, I think there's more mergers, too, like companies merging together, banks getting bought out, um, people losing their jobs, especially loan officers. It's funny. I just read on social media it was like the five worst jobs you can have in a recession. Number one was real estate, and number two was construction. Hmm. I was like, oh, great time to be a loan officer. <laughs> but, Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. The, the truth is is that if there's a loan officer out there that you know or in your family, a processor, an underwriter, anybody that's in that real estate space, they are struggling. I think industry average production is down 30%. And if you're a a refi based lender, they're really struggling. And so this is, I hate to see people get out of the business. We're in a time where we're lucky where I know it doesn't sound sexy, but like pick up those side jobs, pick up those Uber eats, pick up what you can to supplement yourself for the next probably six months, there will be a refi boom that comes back. But how can you provide for yourself and your family for the short period of time until things start to come back? You know, so it might mean picking up a couple of jobs. And I know that might not be ideal, but there will be in 2019 rates got high and nobody would have predicted. And there were a lot of layoffs in 2019. Nobody would have predicted at the end of 2019 that 2020 would have came COVID would have hit rates would have 30 year rates would have been in the high twos and loan officers would have had career breaking records for two straight years. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you have to weather the storm, but if you're not making enough money every single month or there's layoffs, then you're going to have to get potentially another job or a side job or because that is part of the storm of being in the mortgage space.
0: You know one of the things I was uh you know when we were at Adam's wedding um when we had a conversation you you we were texting kind of offline and you said, hey i got a a um not a symposium a uh
1: the nerd academy
0: no no no, you oh. had a, a zoom, oh. zoom meeting with a bunch of realtors oh yeah, and, and, uh-huh. I, and I jumped in there and I got a oh. chance to listen to your webinar that's what yeah. I'm trying to say, right so you have this webinar. I love that approach. And and you're you we all have twenty four hours in a day, right? Mm-hmm. And you're leveraging every minute of each day. Yeah. Right. So the production, albeit for you, probably is a little different, but <laughs> production for folks is is maybe down, but this is an opportunity to network, to connect with realtors, um, you know, to to have these type of webinars where you're providing value. Absolutely. Right. So that when it does turn around and these you know, the the millennials or or buying homes or whomever, right? You're in the position to have those relationships, you know, finally become fruitful.
1: Yeah. What I'm doing right now as a mortgage professional is I am trying to educate as many people as I can. I think real estate agents are scared. They are. And, and their market has changed as, just as much. And so getting out the businesses as fast as just the hell as fast. Yeah, they so went,
2: they went from just putting th- putting some on MLS and and their phone blowing up, and then now all of a sudden it's like, oh, I got to do real work.
1: Yeah, and no, you know, they're, and
2: they're jumping out of the ship.
1: Yeah, and so, so as a loan officer, I always try to be a partner to my agent. I if you're only using me to get a loan done, then I'm not doing my job. I do try to. Most of the time, realtors give us business. We don't have a lot of business to give back to them, but I can give back my business sense. And so right now, more than ever, realtors need to be educated on strategies to help listings sell faster, um, loan programs that can help people afford homes better. And so the more that you can pump out knowledge and education, like a lot of people use the word value, you gotta add value. Value really just means you have to educate them on, Maybe something like the two one buy down, which is a loan program that you haven't heard of in over a decade because we haven't needed it Mm because rates have been low for forever. So we've only had plain vanilla for like 10 years, which is a 30 year fixed. But now we've got some of those exotic loans coming back and it doesn't mean that they're bad loans but you have to educate them on why they're not bad because they might have a psychological association that it is a bad one. Mm -hmm. So how are you presenting it? I don't ever call it a two one buy down. I call it a date, the rate loan program. Why? Because if I tell you it's a two one buy down, you're going to shut down. You're not even going to hear me out on why it's good because your grandfather had it back in 1970, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And so I'm teaching realtors as quickly as I can, which typically means zoom webinars um, we try to do some in person, but yeah, you know, it's hard to get in person. I just started doing these Zooms; game changer, by the way. It is. Adam made fun of me because I'm a Zoom rookie. Even after COVID, I'm a Zoom hosting rookie.
2: <laughs> Zoom, if you if you own stock in Zoom, yeah, uh, it's gone uh, down. What, what is it, Zoom, what's a go to meeting? All yeah. those platforms. Yeah, I'm sure well, COVID. You, you, was missed right you missed the boat. Missed the boat. Yeah, it's yeah, too late. It's yeah. <laughs> too late. Yeah. yeah, we missed it, but.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, they walked away. They have a tool that they can use to calculate. It's just like you just, I mean, every week I'm trying to do something because if I can teach one agent something that helps them sell a listing, they're going to remember me as the mortgage banker that can be a business partner and get the loan done. So if you're a loan officer and you're like, well, crap, I don't know what I could teach, go to YouTube and type in top real estate strategies that I can use as a real estate agent.
0: Mortgage note will pop up for sure.
1: (laughs) I go to Tom Ferry's stuff all the time, and I'm learning and downloading free stuff from Tom Ferry. He's a big real estate coach, and all I'm doing is studying what he teaches the real estate agents to do, and then I regurgitate it in a nerd way that is digestible that a four-year-old can understand because that's about as much as what I can understand, and I teach it in my fashion. I'm not
0: necessarily coming up with it. No, this 2-1 buy-down is, is interesting because we, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with it, right? um but i'm I'm driving into work, and I hear i don't know if I should say rocket mortgage uh, on uh, on the radio talking about, Hey, we'll lock in your rate at, at this, and if rates get better, then you're protected, and you can re it's just a two one yeah, that's all it is, and but they're not calling it that
1: and that's the thing is it's just coining terms, and I'm yeah. kind of the queen of coining because I want it to sound I want my programs to sound different. But I don't want people to hear, so we have a, a bridge loan type, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of companies that have bridge loans and they work differently. So if I tell consumers I have a bridge loan, they're going to think it's the bridge loan that this other loan officer told them, and it's probably not. So I don't call it a bridge loan, even though technically it is, because I don't want them to associate it with what they've heard. And so some of it is just coining terms for it, but that's where as a consumer you also have to be careful because they... They think that they're signing up for a 5% 30 year fix. And it's like, that fine print? Where's that magnet? I actually have a magnifying glass and I like show it in my videos. Like, you better get the magnifying glass out. It's so
0: funny because somebody said, Oh, well, rates are like, you know, 7% or whatever. And they'll say, Well, I just saw on on TV that it was 4%. You got to read the fine print. That's, you know, if you're at a 60% or less LTV. You know, 800 FICO score, score unicorn in the backyard. (laughs) Yeah. Six point buy down. (laughs) Yeah. All this stuff. So
1: yeah, Yeah. yeah,
2: for sure. So I want to pivot, right? Because this being the Vision Lab and the backdrop of the show is, you know, it's all about growth mindset. And clearly you have one. When I say the term growth mindset, what's the first thing that pops in your head?
1: Um, I would say open minded and abundance. Always be learning. Uh, I think that's the thing for me is always be learning, but it truly, I know it sounds so cliche, but the people you run around with, the circles you run around with, they can either drag you down or they can bring you up. And so I'll give you an analogy because I, I have kind of a crazy family, not my siblings, but basically everybody outside of that, they're a little nutty. And if you imagine a bucket of crabs, <laughs> it's like when the crabs are trying to crawl out of the bucket, which means like when one of you is trying to you're getting you're on the brink of success and but what does a crab do is they grab that crab and they bring it down at the at the bucket. So if you are rolling with friends that are really crabs where you start to change, you start to grow, you start to make more money, you start to make better decisions, if your friends are those crabs pulling you back down, you might need new friends even if they've been your boys since elementary school. I think guys have a harder time with that than females. Like, my man's been friends with his group, like, since elementary school, and they're ride or die. And I'm like, "Mm, but that one you probably shouldn't be ride or die for anymore because he's a crab. Like, you want to get in some trouble, you hang out with that guy. Mm. Um, But you really have to analyze, like, who's at your table and who's cheering for you and who's lifting you and who's pulling you down. Mm. And you have to identify that. And
0: How do you deal with that if it's somebody – In your, not, not,
1: if it's somebody in your home or in your, in your immediate family. I'm suck at it. Be, be, my dad was a military guy and he was an abusive guy. And so as kids, we always learned to, we were people pleasers. We always put my dad's needs before our own. And so growing up, we have a tendency to keep everybody else happy before ourselves. And so when it's our family and I call them toxic family members, Mm Mm-hmm because my dad is now a toxic family member. Um, it It's hard because that's your blood and that's your dad. And it's like, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. He helped raise us. There's a lot of stuff that had happened, but it's like, I, I got to a point where I said, I can't, this relationship is toxic. And unless you make changes, you you can't be in my life like this. Like if I see you at Thanksgiving, will be cool. He lives in the Philippines now, so it's all good. But <laughs> so that's another podcast. Um, he's the Hugh Hefner of the Philippines. Hey, we'll just put it shout like out that. To Slick Rick, we call him Slick Rick. <laughs> Slick Rick is the only six foot five white guy out in the Philippines. But um, anyways, he's the unicorn. He's the unicorn. Uh, but. I, that was so hard to do because they're your family and that's not, you know, that's not how you're taught. And our family is a very, like my dad was like, you're, you need to be loyal. He's an East coast guy. And so it's like, even if you're doing some shady stuff, we would cover his butt because that's what we did. You, you know, you had to protect the family. You're making it sound like you were hiding some bricks underneath. <laughs> there the- <laughs> might've been some bricks. There might've been some bricks, but you know, you know um, so it's, I'm not great at it. I, that's something that my husband has helped me learn is like, just because they're your family doesn't mean that they can treat you like that, but I'm not great at setting the boundaries with family. Now other people I'm like, yeah, like peace out. You're not, you're, I just stiff arm you. Like yeah. I shut people off pretty quickly, but with my family, it's like, I mean, you could do me wrong 15 times. I'm like, okay, fine, but you're my family. So, yeah. so it's hard.
2: I think it's at time. Cuff. Man, I don't want it to stop, bro.
0: <laughs> but it is um, what it is, huh? Yeah. Um, before before we land the plane, I, I do want to touch on a couple of things. Um With uh, we we just came out of this period, twenty four months, right? Barn doors are wide open, yeah. get your cash out. Now, I need. I, I I know you said it earlier, but I really want consumers, I want our visionaries, I want the nerds out there to understand those doors are, have have closed, right? Yeah. What is the market is super tight, right? Yeah. And it's compressed. It's a compressed market mm-hmm. is what we're in. Um, what does that mean? And, and why should our consumers under, know about that? And what, what should they do in this time frame?
1: I think the first thing that anybody can do is have a conversation with a lender and a real estate agent. Everybody lives somewhere, you know, you, I don't know even where some of you guys are listening from. You could be in Ohio. The market is very different in Ohio than it is in DFW. But, You've got to speak to a lender. It's kind of like going to the doctor's office. If you say my foot hurts, like that doesn't mean much until you take that x-ray. And that's what a lender is going to do is, even if you're not thinking of buying for a while, but the lender needs to do that x-ray so we can see what the FICO score looks like. If there's blemishes on your credit, we have the tools to help you with that. You don't have to pay for it. But you've got to start with the conversation to analyze where am I at now? Is now even the time for me to buy? It might not be. You might have two, you might have a bunch of student loans or you might, you might have something that's preventing you and that's okay. It's just, let's get a game plan and say, this is where you are now. This is where the market is, but let's get a game plan together so that we can figure out how do we get you from A to B in the shortest period of time with as little amount of money. Don't try to fix your credit on your own because you think if you pay that collection, it's going to jump your score up. Don't do that. Like that's not going to happen. It's just going to report as a zero balance on your credit report, and your score is not going to change. We could have used that money for your down payment. Yeah. So, the market is what it is. It's a tough market, but if you have the conversation now to line your dominoes up, we can help you get there. But you got to have a conversation. That doesn't mean we have to pull your credit right away. Yeah. You got to get educated. Have an advisor sit with you so that they can build out a game plan. You're not going to go to the Super Bowl without a game plan.
0: So last question before we land the plane, right? Um obviously you're tremendously well versed and you know I know my stuff but I know you know it probably 10 times better than I do, right? Where did you learn all this stuff?
1: Um believe it or not, I YouTubed a lot of it. Um I so some of the coaching I've done is I've gone to Todd Duncan. He's been a coach. He's a kind of well-known uh, mortgage coach. But You learn the most just through conversations with client and reading books and YouTubing like I would YouTube. Um, There's a Mortgage Coach channel, and it's on YouTube, and you can hear from top producers. It's free, so I'm frugal. Um, It's free, and you can type in Mortgage Coach into YouTube and hear what these top producers are doing. I think they interview – it's kind of like the old-school way of a podcast. They interview a top producer nationwide every Tuesday and Friday. So I would sit there, and I would listen – and they do sell a software. You don't have to buy the software, but you will learn what these top producers are doing and then put your spin on it, right? And so um, you got to you gotta research, you got to study, you got to YouTube. So you using the um, uh, Fannie Mae Selling Guide? Yeah, all the time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, the, it's so wordy. Oh it's my so gosh! Wordy.
1: Sometimes I feel like it's like reading the Bible, and yeah. it's like up for your own, yeah, 100%. <laughs> you, you know. <laughs> I'm like, is there a dumb down version? Is there like a mortgage guideline for dummies? You should come out with
0: a mortgage nerd for dummies. I mean, Fannie Mae selling guide. Yeah,
1: there's a lot of words. I'm like the type of person. If you send me an email and it's got like, just give me the highlights. Just, get, just like, is there and is there ever a black and white answer? It's yeah. like sometimes Fannie Mae's like, well, if this, but then this, and then this, and it's like, dude, is it yes or no? Like is what? It? Yeah, That's is it. it yes or no? That's so. It.
0: Alright, so um, you know, obviously this has been big for me. I I tried to, you know, try not to steal it too much of her, but like it's it's been such an honor to have you on the show. Uh before we land the plane, I want you to go ahead and give all of our visionaries and your nerds out there uh how can they get a hold of you? What type of social media do you have?
1: Instagram is usually the best. Just go to at the mortgage nerd and you'll find me, but I'm on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. If you Google the mortgage nerd, you'll find me facts. Big facts.
0: (laughs) So
2: I'll let you do it, Mo. Yeah. We have reached the point of the show. Uh, It is time to land the plane. You did do that. Didn't you? Yeah. Oh my goodness. This is brought to you by the good folks at Sagamore spirit. Uh, Thank you to Tim, Kevin Plank, everybody out in Maryland associated with this partnership. We definitely appreciate you. Visionaries, again, you know, we don't have anything on the show that we don't stand behind. Get to your favorite specs, goody-goody, twin liquors, uh, whatever your neighborhood liquor store is, and get you a bottle of Sagamore Spirit. We promise you, you will not be disappointed.
3: There are a few hard truths to whiskey that most brands don't like to admit. First, there's a lot of it. And second, despite its lore and romance, whiskey is often complex and intimidating. Is that high or low proof? Toasted or charred? Aged or finished? Straight or blended? Imported or American? Endless options, endless questions, endless confusion. But there is a whiskey out there that makes selecting it simple. An exceptional spirit made with local ingredients and committed to its communities. That's us. That's Sagamore spirit. Sagamore spirit has been and always will be more than just whiskey. Our work, your work, is greater than the sum of its parts. Keep the momentum moving. And one more thing, it's whiskey. Have fun with it.
2: We ask everybody the same questions when we land the plane on the show. There is, yeah, absolutely. Let's cheers. cheers.
0: Don't, Don't shoot it, just sip on it.
2: We ask everybody these same questions. It's you, there's a round table with five other people. You get to have whoever you want at your table. The only stipulation or caveat, if you will, is that you can't have, you know, whatever religious deity you believe in at the table. Outside of that, who do you want at your table, dead or alive?
1: Ooh, dead or alive. Um, Well, I would have to say Kobe just because that's just, we have to. So petty. Yeah, Kobe, (laughs) the best basketball player. Um, I would have my husband, Jason. I would have my twin sister, Deborah. Shout out to
0: the twin. I yeah. like her. She's cool. Yeah, She's really cool. she
1: keeps me sane. Um, I would have probably Todd Duncan, my coach. And I would have, gosh.
0: yeah, um, got one seat left. I know. So I hope you don't have more than one child.
1: Oh. Well, Carter's five. I guess we'll throw Carter in there. He's five. He can okay. have Well, it doesn't have
0: you know. to be Carter. It can be anybody. Give well,
1: her a six man. Go ahead. It's okay. We'll do, I I, I would say, Mandy, who's my very, 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 very best friend, but I would say Mandy as well. Okay.
0: Good Love thing. it. Love it. Um, I like to ask this question to really get an in-depth look on a, at a person, right? If you were a book, what would be the title of your your book?
1: Book Nerd. Book Nerd? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, man, title of my book. What comes first to my mind is just keeping it real. Um, because I think sometimes when I feel like people look at me, they'll stereotype me in a certain way. And it's like, like I've had people not like me because they think that life was handed to me. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it's like that iceberg effect. You only see the top of the iceberg. That's right. But there's so much more to it. So don't judge or stereotype. It's like, maybe I would just have an iceberg with nerd glasses and be like, read me. That's good. Yeah. I think you should.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, I definitely think. (laughs) Um, What's the long term vision for the mortgage nerd?
1: I've moved into a journey of wanting to bring on additional loan officers. So my team right now consists of just myself and I have two up and coming loan officers. But I feel like in order for me to make a bigger impact and to get more fulfillment out of my life, I don't necessarily want to write more loans, but I want to teach the strategies that I've done to get to where I am to other people to change their life and just help them get there quicker. Because I think a lot of coaching programs that are out there today, they're, they're loan officers that were in the business 15 or 20 years ago and they're trying to teach things to implement today. And it's like, man, that's so like old school. You don't antiquated. Yeah. I mean, you're not, you're not making, it's like call 40 agents every single Monday. And, and so I'm kind of, I'm at, seriously, I'm at this place right now where I'm like, These loan officers are starving. They're paying money because they're in search for need, and they're giving it to people who are teaching old strategies. I am using modern-day strategies that can help you. Like I just did a master class on how to present interest rates, and it's a modern way of doing it, but it's how people want to be communicated with today, not back in the old days. So I'm at the point where I am expanding and bringing on loan officers, teaching them what I've done, so that they can change their family, their kids, their, and create generational wealth. Can you teach an old dog new tricks? Well, I taught my husband new tricks, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, not no. gonna, I'm not you know going to go through that <laughs> so many directions. I mean, it's all, here's the thing is like, I'm only going to bring on people who are willing to commit. And I know that these strategies work, but at the end of the day, it's like, here's the strategy. Now you got to put it into place. Like, That's going to be on you. I can't want it more than you do. And so that is going to depend on where your commitment level is. And I will say I run the 1996 Chicago Bulls type. Oh, now you want to go with Georgia? Yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah. But that's how our squad ro- rolls, so I don't have a lot of C players. Like, if you want to play in the squad, then you're going to have to show up and you're going to have to, like, be ready to play with the big dogs because I I don't personally have – if I tell you to do something and this is what you're going to need to do to build your realtor roster and then we meet two weeks later and you didn't do it, I'm not spending any more time with you. It'll you don't want out. it bad enough. Yeah, yeah so.
0: Um. And you, you mentioned the word time, right? I, I'm curious because I know it's very difficult to get a hold of you, right? How do you balance being a mom, being a wife, being a business owner? Um, wh- where do you find the time besides being a superwoman?
1: Well, I think if you have a process in place, then it's so here. Let me answer it to you this way. If you go to Chick-fil-A at 12 p.m. on a Saturday, you show up to that line and they can crank those sandwiches out faster than the water burger that's down the street at 12 p.m.
3: This you is see? true. You see what I'm saying? So it's
1: like, why can Chick-fil-A pump out all these sandwiches? And why is Chick-fil-A the most profitable fast food chain? And they're only open six days out of the week, not seven. Because they have systems, and they have a process, and they have role clarity, and they have, you know, they've mastered the drive-through. And so it's no, people think that I'm super busy. And Adam can tell you, he works with me eight hours a day. I am, I've defined a process. You order here, you pick your food up here. We don't have a lot of sandwiches returned to the kitchen, so the kitchen's not overworking. And if you have it mapped out and you have a process and it's just it's how the sandwich is made every single time, you can get a lot of shit done. And so we helped over seven hundred families last year. That's and crazy. I got it, I'm not running around with my head cut off, but I've got a team, and I've built the team. I've trained the team. I inspect what I expect. So when you come on board, it's a ninety day boot camp. I'm looking at your emails. How are you communicating? And I'm I'm micromanaging it for 90 days. And then you graduate. And it's like because I want when someone comes and does a loan with the Nerd Squad, I want that experience to be the same. You can go to any Chick-fil-A in the U.S. And you're going to get the same quality and the same service. And that's because their training program is on point. And that's how I want people to feel when they come to the Nerd Squad. You're going to get the same experience no matter if you're a first-time home buyer, you're buying a million-dollar home or a $100,000 home. After closing, you're going to get the same equity report every single month so you know how your home's performing everyone's treated the same I don't care how much money you have I want your experience to be the same and if you can get that consistency your snowball just grows and grows and grows because then your realtors expect that consistency and they're not guessing is the sandwich going to have pickles on it or not like I don't want to show up in my sandwich have pickles on it but if you can produce consistently then they're like okay I know that this loan's going to get to the finish line and I can go focus on selling real estate and with your client, same thing. I know I'm going to get this rate. I know I'm going to see the rate board. I know I'm going to close on time. I know that she's going to follow up with me every single month so that when rates come down, that she's going to tell me when to pull the trigger because I don't want to pull it too soon. I'm going to tell you when to pull the trigger. So as everybody else in America, because you're going to get a shit ton of solicitations, but you need to follow my lead, not that postcard you got in the mail. You got to tell them now. So it's just working smart and building processes and systems and having all the systems communicate to one another that my eight hours in a day could beat someone 16 hours in a day, but I don't work my tail off. I did. There is a period of time where you grind, like yeah. no mistake about it. I grinded. But then once you graduate, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. If you do it right, you shouldn't stay in grind mode for that long.
0: Yeah. That's so good. That's so, so good. So, all right. Um, we're now at that spot where, you know, it's time to officially land the plane. Um, I ask every single one of our guests, I know you, you're a fan of the show. you watched mm-hmm. the show before. Um, what advice would Denise Donahue be giving herself from 5 years ago?
1: I would say uh believe in yourself, stick to your passion and go all in. And as long as you stay true to who you are and you work your butt off and you go all in, then good things will happen. But you have to know that in life, you know, shit's going to happen to you. You're going to fall down. And how resilient you are to get back up is going to be how you succeed. You, the most successes come from our failures. So I've been knocked down plenty of times in my life. We didn't talk about too much of those, but let's be real. I've been knocked down and I've learned. And then you get back up and you show up. That's right. Yeah,
2: that's right. I so love it always it. comes back up the next day. Yeah. Yep, exactly.
1: All right, so I'm going to
0: actually fast forward the clock. I'm going to make okay. you a, a wee bit older. Okay, so you're five years older. What advice is the older version of Denise here? what advice is she telling you today?
1: Not to say yes to everything and not to put other people before her. That I only want to, I've got a small tribe of people that are my ride or dies. And if you're not in that tribe, I shouldn't exhaust my own needs or wants or feelings to appease you Just because you might be more important than me or you might be more successful than me it's like i don't need that so stay true to who you are and and put boundaries around what you agree to or say yes to
0: i love it well denise yo mortgage nerd this (laughs) has been you know beyond amazing for me personally as a lender right as a lo um, very very grateful for your time grateful for the opportunity for you to jump into the lab with this manifestation is real i told y'all we would get her and we got her into the lab this has been outstanding visionaries i hope you had a wonderful time watching today's episode remember go ahead and like subscribe and share and remember each one of our guests are dropping nuggets of wisdom here on the trail of life ultimately my friends it's up to you to pick them up
2: Visionaries, ladies and gentlemen, all of the above. My name is Ryan Mosley. He is Ryan Cuffey. Thank you again to Denise, the mortgage nerd, Donahue. And uh, we'll see you guys next week on another great episode of the Vision Lab podcast.
0: Blessings.